Hello, scumbags and scumbaggets. Welcome back to the Scumbag Diaries. Here is a little bit of entertainment news to get your whistle wet. Batman Death in the Family was a impactful comic book in which the fans of the series got to make a choice that would affect DC canon for the rest of its existence. Jason Todd was the replacement of Dick Grayson's Robin in the story, and he was kind of annoying. Fans didn't really like him, especially not as much as Dick. Now, there was an issue of the comic book in which the Joker had bound Jason Todd, beat him near to death with a crowbar, and left him in a warehouse covered in explosives. It left on a cliffhanger of Batman being on the way to save him. On the last page of the comic... There were two phone numbers, and the fans were to call one phone number if they wished for Batman to get there in time and save Jason, and they were to call another phone number if they wished for Batman not to make it there in time and for Jason to perish in the explosion. Well, people voted for his fate to be sealed by the explosion, and Jason died, and it affected comic books for the rest of its history. He eventually came back as the Red Hood, who is a great villain slash anti-hero, but I digress. The reason I bring this up is there is a new animated series called Batman Death in the Family. It's an interactive movie that puts Jason Todd's fate in your own hands, much like the comic book page that offered you the two numbers to phone. Also in movie news... Zack Snyder has vowed that the three-and-a-half-hour Snyder Cut will not use any single frame of footage filmed by Joss Whedon in his absence. That's a, a pretty bold claim. They're basically going to have to do a whole new movie. Bill & Ted 3 has two trailers that have dropped. It looks super interesting. They are lots of callbacks to the first two films in the trailer. I think it's going to be great. Netflix has announced a Witcher prequel series, which is exciting. The Witcher series was well executed, and I think that Henry Cavill was well suited for the role. Also, in entertainment news related to the Witcher series, McFarlane Toys has snagged the exclusive rights to make Witcher action figures. Marvel has a new Hulu show coming out called Hellstrom, which is basically Marvel's version of our favorite occult detective, John Constantine. They're soon releasing the Back to the Future Ultimate Trilogy 4K edition, which I'm pretty stoked about. Also, upcoming in movies, The Matrix 4. Keanu Reeves is going to replies, reprise his role as Neo. Trinity is going to be back as well. Also, Agent Smith and possibly Morpheus. I'm excited about that. There's a movie adaptation of Dune coming out. I guess it's the second movie adaptation of Dune that's coming out. That's kind of exciting. And last in movie news, Brie Larson, who plays Captain Marvel in the MCU, is campaigning to play Samus in a Metroid movie. And I just want you guys to mull that over and see what you think about it. Today's episode, Scumbag West Memphis, is about the corruption and incompetence of the West Memphis, Arkansas Police Department and the criminal justice system as a whole, specifically in the case of the West Memphis Three. Three teenage boys from poverty who were arrested and convicted of the grisly murders of three West Memphis Cub Scouts in 1993. The evidence against them, the evidence in their favor, and alternate suspects that could possibly have gotten away with the crime. Sit back, strap in, and prepare yourself for the Scumbag Diaries' very first true crime episode.
A warning, though, the themes of this case and the description of the crime may be triggering for some. It's May 5th, 1993. Three Cub Scouts, Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore are riding their bikes in the evening light. One of the boys is wearing his scout uniform. He and the other two boys are proud of recently reaching the rank of wolf. At 6.30 in the afternoon, the boys would be seen for the last time alive. Three neighbors said they were last seen being called home by Terry Hobbs, the stepfather of one of the boys. At 7 p.m. that very evening, the adoptive father of another one of the boys, John Mark Byers, contacted police to say that they were missing. Last seen in the Robin Hood Hills of West Memphis, Arkansas. Stevie Branch was the son of Stephen and Pamela Branch, who divorced when he was an infant. His mother was awarded custody and later married Terry Hobbs. Branch was eight years old. At four feet, two inches tall, he weighed 65 pounds and had blonde hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt and riding a black and red bicycle. He was an honor student. He lived with his mother, Pamela Hobbs, and his stepfather, Terry Hobbs. Christopher Byers was born to Delis Melissa Defer and Ricky Murray. His parents divorced when he was four years old. Shortly after, his mother married John Mark Byers, who adopted the boy. Byers was eight years old, four feet tall, and weighed 52 pounds. He had light brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, dark shoes, and a white long-sleeved shirt. He lived with his mother, Sharon Melissa Byers, his adoptive father, John Mark Byers, his stepbrother, Sean Ryan Clark, age 13. According to his mother, Christopher was a typical eight-year-old. He still believed in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. Michael Moore was the son of Todd and Dana Moore. He was eight years old, four feet two inches tall, weighed 55 pounds, had brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue pants, a Boy Scouts of America shirt, and an orange and blue Cub Scout hat and riding a light green bicycle. Moore enjoyed wearing his scout uniform, even when he was not at meetings. He was considered the leader of the three. He lived with his parents and his nine-year-old sister, Dawn. Initial police searches on the night the boys went missing were limited. Later into the night, friends, family, and neighbors continued the search. A more thorough police investigation began the next day at 8 a.m. Despite a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder search of the Robin Hood Hills area, little results were yielded. At 1.45 in the afternoon, a juvenile police officer who had later had allegations of picking up teenage boys and forcing them to perform oral sex on him with threats of taking them from their families made by Damian Eccles, spotted one of the boy's black shoes floating in a muddy creek leading to a drainage ditch. A subsequent search of the ditch led to the boy's bodies being discovered. The boys had been stripped naked, hog-tied with their own shoelaces, right ankle tied to their right wrist, left ankle tied to their left wrist behind their backs. The boys' clothing had been recovered on sticks that had been shoved down into the mud on the ditch banks. Two of the boys' underwear were never recovered. Christopher Byers had multiple lacerations. His ears, penis, and scrotum had been removed from his body, and all three boys showed signs of rape. Due to the graphic and shocking nature of the crime, and the satanic panic that had gripped the country in fear, the police ruled this murder an apparent satanic ritual sacrifice. This led the juvenile police officer who had found the boys' bodies to suggest that the murders were carried out by a teen from a poor family in the trailer park that listened to metal, had long black hair, practiced the Wicca religion, and was known to buy and rent occult-themed books from the library, Damien Eccles. 
This led to the arrest of Damien and his best friend, Jason Baldwin, who had been arrested with Damien previously for shoplifting and vandalism. When the police came to arrest them, they burst in the door, and Damien and Jason ran into a bedroom, turned off the light, and hid. Shortly after, they came out and surrendered. The police also arrested Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., a young teen who had been known to have anger issues, violent outbursts, and frequent fights with other teens, who had no connection to the other two boys other than knowing each of them from school, which Damien and Jason had already dropped out of. Jesse would later confess that he, Damien, and Jason had raped, murdered, and hid the bodies of the three Cub Scouts. Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. confessed to the crime after nearly 12 hours of interrogation with no parental or legal representation. Only the last 45 minutes of this interrogation were recorded. In Jesse's confession, he states that the murders happened at noon that day, while the three victims were still in school. There were other inconsistent statements in his confession, which are followed by the detective correcting the mistake and Jesse then changing his answer to fit the narrative. When the interrogating detective was questioned about the inconsistencies, he simply stated that Jesse was confused. The detective was quoted saying, when asked, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good do you think your case is? By smirking and simply stating 11. Later, Jesse Miss Kelly was found to have an IQ of 72. He stated that the police would let him go if he just told them what they wanted to hear. Damien spent time in a mental institution for several months and afterward was awarded full disability benefits. This was brought up by the defense in the trial. His psychiatrist testified that he had serious mental illness characterized by grandiose and persecutory delusions, auditory and visual hallucinations, disordered thought processes, substantial lack of insight, and chronic incapacitating mood swings. Jason Baldwin was said by his teachers to be an excellent artist and they encouraged him to pursue a career in graphic design. He listened to the same band as Damien Eccles, and they had been very close friends for a long time. They just spent most of their time listening to music, talking about comic books and movies, that sort of thing. And just because he was best friends with the weird kid in town, he was arrested for triple murder. Not to mention the way that they treated poor Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., at the time of their arrest, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was 17 years old, Jason Baldwin was 16 years old, and Damian Eccles was 18 years old, expecting a son. Because Jesse Miss Kelly confessed to the crime, he was tried alone, while Jason and Damian were tried together. Jesse's confession wasn't supposed to be brought up in Jason and Damian's trial, but the prosecution let it slip, and you can't unring that bell. Eventually, Jesse and Jason were sentenced to life in prison, while Damien was sentenced to death by lethal injection. When the trial began, HBO approached everyone involved about filming the trial. This footage would later become the footage used in the Paradise Lost documentary series, which may be the one thing that saved Damien Eccles' life. Because of the first film gaining notoriety and people seeing the unfair treatment of the West Memphis Three, a group of activists and protesters on behalf of the Three got involved during the appeal process, which ultimately led to new evidence being discovered and subsequently gaining the three their freedom, though it had a cost, but we will discuss that later as well. <clears throat> Some of the evidence brought against the West Memphis Three were a collection of Damien's occult books and journals, a page inscribed with Damien's name, his girlfriend's name, his son's name, and the name of Alistair Crowley from our inaugural Scumbag Magicians episode in it, which he had written after he had been incarcerated. 
The prosecution called a man named Dale W. Griffiths, a graduate of Columbia Pacific University and a retired police officer who considered himself an expert in the occult to testify that the murders were indeed a satanic ritual. Here are some questions and the answers provided by Griffiths in the trial. The prosecution asked, does the number three, three victims, have any significance? Griffiths responds with, one of the most powerful numbers in the practice of satanic belief is 666, and some believe the beast wrote six as a three. Another question was, okay now, eight is a factor because that's a witch's number? What's the significance of eight? Griffiths responds with, okay, in Crowley, in Crowley's work, he discusses that sex before eight, or you lose the magical power. Then the prosecution asks, sex before eight, or you lose magical power. Okay, so if the victims were all eight years old, then that wouldn't be sex before eight, correct? Griffiths responds with, I said eight, I'm sorry, not eight, nine, eight or before. Griffiths obtained his diploma without ever attending a class from a mail-order diploma mill, based on his knowledge and experience and training in the area of occultism or Satanism, he was considered an expert. They also found a knife in the lake behind Jason Baldwin's house, which was also put in the evidence. When asked if the knife in question were the murder weapon, the detective is quoted saying, I never said this knife was the murder weapon. Another knife involved in the case may have actually shed light on a different narrative from earlier days of the investigation that they later dismissed, but we'll get onto that knife in a little while. Early in the case, before arresting Damien, Jason, and Jesse, the police considered two suspects named Chris Morgan and Brian Holland. They had previous drug convictions. Christopher Morgan had actually worked driving an ice cream truck in the neighborhood where the three boys lived. Also, the ice cream was supplied by a nearby ice cream factory where both John Mark Byers, the adoptive father of Chris Byers, and Terry Hobbs, the stepfather of Stevie Branch, had worked. Days after the three Cub Scouts' bodies were discovered, Christopher Morgan and Brian Holland left town for California. They were both arrested in Oceanside, California. The two were hooked up to polygraphs and asked about the murders. They both indicated deception. When the Oceanside police sent the results to the West Memphis detectives, it was, it was ignored because the West Memphis Three had already been arrested. Later, Morgan admitted to killing the boys and then said, if you ask me again, I'm going to lie. Along with the polygraph results, the confession, the Oceanside PD also sent DNA samples to West Memphis, which were also ignored. Also, on the night of the murders, about a mile from the crime scene, the staff of Bojangles Restaurant reported an African-American man covered in blood who came in, washed off in the bathroom, thanked everyone who worked there, and left. The manager then called police. Officer Regina Meeks responded to the call. She took the manager's statement through the drive through window and never even went inside the building. Before that call, she had previously been involved in the initial search for the boys. When asked at trial, she stated she didn't think the two things were related because it was another district, despite being only a mile from where she had previously been searching. After seeing the news story the next day, the manager called police again because he thought that it might be a suspect. Police came that day and got blood samples from the tile of the bathroom, which later were lost by the detective in charge of it. Also, later on, a hair belonging to an African-American male was discovered in a sheet one of the boys had been wrapped up in, but it was never brought up in the trial. 
Another person that was initially looked at by police was John Mark Byers, Chris Byers' adoptive father, who was the person who called the police and reported the three boys missing in the first place. Prior to the murders of the three boys in West Memphis, John Mark Byers had criminal charges related to the use of terroristic threats, grand theft, and drug use. One of the terroristic threat charges pertains to a domestic dispute between John Mark Byers and his first wife, Sandra Byers, in 1988. It was alleged that he threatened her life and assaulted her with a taser. Byers was 30 years old when he accumulated this charge, and he was 35 when Judge David Burnett expunged it from his record. Despite the record having been expunged, documents detailing the charges were found at the Crediton County Court by journalist Mara Leverett. During the initial investigation, police found a knife with human blood on the folding part of the handle that matched the wounds on Chris Byers in John Mark Byers' dresser. When questioned about the blood, he gave multiple conflicting answers. Earlier in the day that the boys went missing, he had been seen publicly disciplining Chris. He said in an interview, after seeing the crime scene pictures of Chris and having described what had been done to him reminded him of an attack he had received as a young boy when he was sexually assaulted and beaten. He stated as he heard what happened to Chris, it was almost like he was there watching it happen. John Mark Byers was always trying to get in front of the camera, always playing up his anger and pain in an almost completely unbelievable way. If you were to watch this case unfold on an episode of Criminal Minds, you would be screaming at the TV for Derek Morgan to take this creep down. In the second documentary film, John Mark Byers returns to the scene of the crime with crime scene tape he took from the scene the day the bodies were found. This is over six years later, mind you. He ties the crime scene tape around three sticks, makes three makeshift graves, and then burns them. Also, due to the support drummed up by the Paradise Lost documentary, a new medical examiner is assigned to the defense who discovers bite marks on Chris Byers' face that went previously undiscovered. The impression doesn't match the West Memphis Three, and John Mark Byers couldn't submit a dental impression because he had false teeth, teeth, which he claimed he had since before the boys were murdered, when in fact he had his teeth removed four years after the boys were killed. After John Mike Byers and his wife left West Memphis, they were arrested for stealing $20,000 of stuff from a neighbor's house on the way out of town. He also got a restraining order against him after spanking the young son of one of his new neighbors. Also his wife, the mother of Christopher Byers, died under mysterious circumstances and John Mark Byers was investigated. The cause of his wife's death is still marked undetermined. John Mark Byers was busted selling prescription pills and sentenced to eight years in prison and then he died in a car accident in 2011, the same year the West Memphis Three would be released due to DNA evidence leaking him to the murders. There was also DNA evidence found at the crime scene on the bindings of the boys that matched Terry Hobbs and his friend David Jacoby. When questioned about the DNA evidence, Jacoby was dismissive, saying it could have ended up there when the boy came over to play with his son. David Jacoby also worked at the ice cream factory with John Mike Bars and Terry Hobbs. While in prison, Damian Eccles was sentenced to death three separate times. During his 18-year stay, he spent 10 years of that in solitary confinement. He was beaten several times so badly that he lost part of his eyesight as a result. He was constantly being threatened by COs and other inmates alike. 
During the initial trial, Damien appeared to be cocky and braggadocious, even once stating that he would forever be remembered as the boogeyman of West Memphis, a statement he later said he regretted making. His demeanor changed over the years he spent inside. He experimented with spirituality, specifically Buddhism and other Eastern practices, eventually settling on chaos magic. He performed the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, sometimes upwards of 20 times a day, to crystallize his aura and push any unwanted energy away from him. He credits magic, with a K, with both keeping him alive in prison and ultimately freeing him from prison. While in prison, Damien says that he joined the AA, an offshoot of Aleister Crowley's own OTO. Eventually, after the support of the West Memphis Three and Damien grew from normal people and Wiccan groups lobbying for him, eventually, celebrities such as Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Eddie Vedder, Peter Jackson, and the Dixie Chicks joined in. Johnny Depp, Eddie Vedder, and Peter Jackson paid the West Memphis Three's legal bills. With that support and the new DNA evidence linking the now-dead John Byers, West Memphis and the court knew it was only a matter of time before they would be forced to exonerate the three. So they offered them a deal, an Alfred plea, in which the boys would plead guilty even though they maintained their actual innocence, but they would immediately be released with three counts of capital murder on their records. The boys, now 18 years after being wrongfully in prison, took the deal out of fear of Damien being killed in prison, waiting on the slow-moving cogs of justice. If the boys didn't take the Alfred plea, it could have been years or even another decade before they were released. Plus, the boys could have potentially sued West Memphis for upwards of $60 million. After they, finally let, after they were finally let out of prison, the very first thing Damien did, out of the gate, was go get food and tattoos with Johnny Depp. Damien has matching Chaos Magic Sigil tattoos with Johnny Depp, Eddie Vedder, and Peter Jackson, along with the matching Crow tattoos with Johnny Depp and Eddie Vedder on their hands. Once free, the boys were given their first jobs on the outside, working on the set of Peter Jackson's film, The Hobbit. To this day, Stevie Branch, Chris Byers, and Michael Moore's murder is still unsolved. You guys may be familiar with Damien Eccles in some fashion if you have watched Duncan Trussell's Netflix series, Midnight Gospel. Damien is the voice actor of the Fishbowl Head character in the third episode of the series, in which he teaches Duncan's character Clancy about magic. The audio was pulled from an episode of Duncan's podcast, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Damien has since made his living teaching magic and writing books on the subject, his most successful book being High Magic. I'm going to discuss on another Scumbag Magicians episode in a few weeks, the more occult side of this case, and even the possibility the West Memphis Three are responsible. What really happened? Who knows? Were the boys murdered by the Three? Were they killed by the mysterious Bo Jangles man? Perhaps Chris Morgan and Brian Holland killed the boys. Maybe Terry Hobbs and John Mark Byers killed the boys. Maybe even Bill and Hillary added the boys to their Saturn-worshipping child sex cult victim list. Arkansas is their home turf, after all. All I know for certain is the death of those three boys is a horrible act, and whoever is responsible deserves to burn in hell. What do I think about the case? It was a clusterfuck. There's evidence pointing to all of the suspects that I've laid out before you. But the least substantial evidence points toward the three boys who were convicted of the crime who were robbed of 18 years of their life only to be released back into the world with three capital murder charges on their on their record
after they were released, Damien went on to write books, give talks, and teach magic. Um, Jason went on to work in construction, though he is studying law. His hopes are to become a lawyer to help other people wrongfully convicted. Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., on the other hand, when he got out of prison, he fell into a deep depression. He'd become institutionalized while inside. Um, he was not used to living on the outside world, and now he spends most of his days sleeping on his girlfriend's couch. He refuses to do interviews for the most part. Damien is still very much in the spotlight after all this time. Uh, with his magic teachings and such, he was in Duncan Dressel's Family Hour, as I stated. He has a new book coming out also. I forget the name of it. But uh, I believe it's on Archangels and Crossing the Abyss in Magical Teachings. He has a series on YouTube that teaches chaos magic, which I suggest everyone checks out. He looks very different now than he did in the days of the trial. He looked like sort of a little emo kid while he was on trial, and now he looks, well, like a grown-up emo kid. He looks like a wizard, honestly, with blue-tinted glasses, though I'm pretty sure the blue tints to the glasses come from the vision impairment from getting the shit kicked out of him while he was on death row. <clears throat> he was also raped in prison, which uh, no one really talks about. I've, I think the only medium in which I've seen that discussed is briefly in text in the documentaries, which is a tragic thing that happened. In my next Scumbag Magicians episode, I'm going to focus solely on Damien and his perspective of being in prison and the things he wrote about in his book High Magic. Um, Damien took the, the forefront of the case, both in the actual trial and the films, and even this podcast, honestly. And I, I think that's just because he was odd. He likes magic and witchcraft, Stephen King, Metallica, which are all things that I think the majority of the listeners of this podcast are into for the most part also. And because of those interests... He was put in prison for 18 years. While there was a slew of other people who had more hard-hitting evidence toward them that just went by the wayside. The other knife I mentioned that was found in John Mark Byers' possession, he... The, the blood evidence on that was tainted. Another example of idiocy from the West Memphis Police Department. You have a lot of factors in this case. You have the possible sexual predator juvenile police officer who fingered Damien in the first place. You have the adoptive father and stepfather who both have interesting criminal histories and are also connected with the ice cream truck driving teenager who literally confessed to the murders in another state you have the there was another child murder that happened really really close to West Memphis Arkansas after the fact and could that have been the Bojangles man that mysteriously was connected to the case there are so many factors and so many avenues to look at this case from and being honest with you guys this episode kicked my ass from having to look at all of the horrible crime scene pictures 
to binge watching all three Paradise Lost movies. The only thing I didn't watch to prepare for this was the West of Memphis documentary produced by Peter Jackson and Damien Eccles and Damien's wife Lori. But I want to I'm going to check that out at the end. I'll probably talk about that in the Scumbag Magicians Damien Eccles episode. Uh, it's fucked. It's really it's really dark stuff and it it's even more fucked that this case as horrible as it is is just one isolated incident and there are things like this happening all over the world children being kidnapped tied up raped murdered abused i literally there's a, a post going around facebook now of small children who were found duct taped in boxes and shipping containers this stuff is real it's happening whether it's part of a global conspiracy involving the clintons i don't fucking know and as interesting as that is to think about the facts are it's happening millions of children are going missing and being killed every year it's not a fucking joke it's not the plot of some movie it is the life we're living in and maybe it freaks me out more now because i'm a parent maybe i am just more aware of these sort of thing happening but it's fucked up and the wayfair conspiracy i don't know about that it's all suspect as fuck i haven't looked into it yet but apparently people are bombarding the fbi with human trafficking claims involving wayfair which is kind of funny but what's not funny is children getting hurt and I think that we should all make a conscious effort to spread awareness about these things. And I know that it's hard to think about. It's hard to conceptualize the shit's even happening, especially with all the other stuff happening in the world right now. But I think that with the Jocelyn Maxwell case and her court documents being unsealed, we should pay attention. People are literally – the news cycle is so sped up and chaotic that they have announced UFOs exist the astral plane exists and that we are all basically just, you know, what Bill Hicks said, energy condensed to a slow vibration, experiencing itself subjectively. And people are just ignoring all of that because of everything else that's happening that's so distracting. And that is a damn shame. We've Conspiracy theories are being confirmed left and right, and I also think that conspiracy theories are being used against conspiracy theorists to make conspiracy theorists look like crazy, tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists, and that's a clusterfuck in itself. But I just try to question everything, which could be from, you know, paranoia, and maybe that's another psychological thing I have to work on, like having emotional connections to fictitious people. I'm not sure. What I am certain of, though, is I'm grateful for all of the listeners of the Scumbag Diaries and everyone who's been supportive. I appreciate that. This case has taken it out of me. I'm going to play some clips from the case now. I'm going to play Jason's or Jesse Miss Kelly's confession, and I'm going to play some clips of Damien talking before we call it a show. What time did you get there? I got there about an hour. In the morning? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when, what time is it right now? Right now? Yeah. You don't know what time it is? Do you not wear a watch? Mm-hmm. My, so dad, my dad woke me up this morning. Your time period 
might not be exactly right what you're saying. Right. But it, it was like early in the day, but you don't know exactly what time. Okay. Because we got, I've got some real confusion with the times you're telling me. But now, this nine o'clock in the evening call that you've got, explain that to me. Well, after all the stuff happened that night, that they'd done it. Okay. I went home about noon, then they called me. Okay. Nine o'clock at, at night, they called me. Okay. And what did they tell you on the telephone? They asked me how come I left so early and stuff. And I told them I couldn't stand there watching it no more, so I had to do something to get out of there. Okay. Who called you? Jason. And you mentioned you heard some voice in the background? I heard some banging. And what else? Yeah. I think you said that he made the call from his house? I made a call from his house, and Damien was hollering in the background and said, we done it, we done it. What are we going to do if somebody saw us? What are we going to do? Okay. Now, the knives. Was there one knife, two knives? Was your knife there? Mm -hmm. Did somebody take you and use your knife? Do you have a knife? I got one knife. Where is it at? At home. Okay. The knife that, is that Jason was using, mm -hmm. where is it? I don't, I don't know what he done with it, because after I left, then that's when I don't know what they done with it. After I left, I don't know what they done with it. Did he tell you he hit it somewhere? Yeah, I, I got a feeling here. You're not quite telling me everything. Now, we're, you know, we are recording everything. So this is very, very important to tell us the entire truth. If you were there the whole time, then tell us you were there the whole time. Don't leave anything out. This is very, very important. Now, just tell us the truth. I was there until they tied them up. And then that's when I left. After they tied them up, I left. But you saw them cutting on the boys. I saw them cutting on them. And then so they what, laid, what else left is there after they laid, that? They laid the knife down beside them. And I saw them tying them up. And then that's when I left. Were the boys conscious? Or were they... They were unconscious. Unconscious. Okay. And then after I left, they done more. They done that. They started screwing them again. Okay. How were they screwing them when you saw them? They were, they were stuck his in one of them's mouth, and Damien was screwing one of them up there. Okay. All right, and the one that they were cutting the penis off of, did any of them are cutting the penis or whatever was being done did they have sex with him at all? No. Did either one of them? J uh, Jason did. Jason did. Jason was screwing him while Damien stuck his in his mouth and let the boys mouth. Okay. How did he have sex with that one? Damien, he was holding him down, like. Uh huh. And Jason had his legs up in the air and let the boys kick him, saying, don't, don't, like that. Okay. He had his legs up in the air. All right. What was to keep these little boys from running off? If just their hands are tied, what's to keep them from running off? They beat them up so bad, well, they can't hardly move. They haven't tied, have their hands tied down. Right. Just you, sit on them. You said they had their hands tied up, tied down. Were their hands tied in a fashion to where they couldn't have run? 
You tell me. They they could run. They just had them tied. And when they knocked them down and stuff, they can hold their arms and stuff and just hold them down like where you couldn't raise up. And the other one pick his legs up. Okay. So they had them under control. You were there the whole time that was taking place? I was there. Okay. One of them was cut on the face real bad. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. And one of them was being cut on his penis. Yes. Right. Did you ever use, did anyone use a stick and hit the boys with? That man, uh, kind of a big old stick when he hit that first one after he hit him with his fist knocked him down and then he got him a big old stick and hit him. What did the stick look like? I mean was it like a a, a, a big log like that or is it or is it a stick? I'll say it was about that about that big round. I'll say about that long. Okay. About the size of a baseball bat and maybe just a little bit bigger around. Yeah. That's what you described with your hands, right? Right. Okay. How long was the knife that Jason was using? All right, you're describing a knife that would be about six inches long. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And what kind of blade did it have on it? Uh, like a regular, just regular knife blade. Was it a knife that you fold up, or was it a like a hunting knife that's just one piece? You fold up knife. It was a folding knife. Mm -hmm. Uh, does Damien have a knife? No. He doesn't have one? He didn't have one that night? He didn't have one that night. Did he borrow yours? No, he didn't borrow mine. Okay. Did they have a briefcase with them? Didn't, you didn't see a briefcase? I didn't see a briefcase. Not unless they left it there that, that day before it happened. Unless they lifted their V by it says that day. Have you ever seen them with a briefcase before? I think once that one night, I said it was that night. Okay. What what is kept inside that briefcase? They had cocaine and a little gun. Is that where you first saw the pictures mm -hmm. of the boys? Right there make sure. And okay. you saw the pictures in the briefcase? Mm -hmm. I when we had that call. Okay. Now, you have participated in this cult, right? Yes. How long have you been involved in it? been in about three months. Okay. What is, tell me some of the things y'all do typically in the woods in, as being in this cult. We go out, kill dogs and stuff, and then kill girls out there. All right, what do you do with the girls when you're out there? We screw and stuff. Does just everybody take turns? Everybody. And, and all I have are old and stuff like that. Okay. When you kill a dog, what do you do with it? We, we usually skin it. Build a little bonfire and eat it and stuff. Okay. When you're initiating somebody new to come into, come into a call, what actually is done to initiate that person into a call? We usually, we usually, you know, kill an animal, you know, see if he knows know how to handle the meat and stuff that we kill it, see if he knows if he can't handle it, then he don't get in. Okay, so if he kills an animal, you mentioned earlier that he may have to eat part of that animal. What part 
of the animal, what do you eat? Part of his, uh, meat off his leg. Meat off his leg. And if he, if he can't eat it, then he don't, he don't get in. Doesn't get into the club. Uh -huh. Now, on these, these meetings, have they ever been violent? Anybody getting mad and gotten in a fight? The night you were in the woods, um, had y'all been in the water? Yeah, we've been in the water. We playing around in it. You were playing around in the water? Alright. What were you doing in the water? Besides just playing, I mean, did the little boys, had they been in the water? Did they get in the water with y'all? No, they didn't get in the water with us. Okay. What were you doing in the water? We were just sitting there throwing stuff at each other. Okay. Were y'all having sex? No. I wasn't. You weren't? No. Was Damien and Jason having sex? They they take turns going up under the water. Going under the water? What were they doing under the water? I don't know. They they sit so far away they they go up in the water stay for about I say about Five, ten seconds, and then come up, and the other one go down. Okay. So they were just messing around in the water. All right, they called for these boys to come over there? Yeah, they, they seen the boys, and then they hollered. They mean hollered. Say, hey, and the boys came out there. Did they call them by name? Uh-uh, they just hollered, and then they just showed up. Where did the boys put their bikes? Close right where they right there before you come in. Mm -hmm. They laid it down right there. Okay. And I don't know what, after I left, I don't know what they done with the fire. So you didn't do anything to the bikes at all? No. Are you sure? Positive. You didn't touch the bikes? I didn't touch them. Right. You've been back to this place since that mark, mm -hmm. since it took time to collapse. What did you do while you were there? And be truthful. I'll sit down there. i just sit there after what they did to the boys. i just sit there. And did what? Just thought what they what happened to them real bad. I just thought. Okay. And then I left and stuff. And stuff? I just sat there and walked on. When did you go back there? Uh, two or three days after it happened. Not Were you there by yourself? Did you go there with some old boys once? Just me, David, and that particular place? No. Are you willing to go down there with us and us have a camcorder and you show us where these things took place? Could you do that? Wouldn't have any problem with that. Huh? But you would be able to point out where these things took place, mm -hmm. which way the boys came from, mm -hmm. and where y'all were when he hollered for the boys and stuff like that. You wouldn't have any problem with that? But that's after, after the murder and stuff, like I said, about two or three days later after it happened, I went in and thought about it and I ain't been there since. Okay. Let me ask you something. This is real serious, and I want you to be real truthful. 
and I want, I want, I want you to think about it before you answer it. Don't just say yes or no real quick. I want you to think about it. Did you actually hit any of these boys? No. Now tell us the truth. No. Okay. Did you actually rape any of these boys? That was a excerpt of Jesse Miss Kelly's 45-minute recorded confession. Some of the more conspiratorial-minded people may be interested in knowing that the docket number ended in 666. So that's, that's just something to throw out there for you guys. Next, I'm going to play a clip of Damien speaking about the experience while he was still going through it, and then I'll give my clothing, closing thoughts on the, the episode. I think... Teenagers probably have trouble ever imagining um, anything but immortality for themselves. They seem to believe that they're indestructible. I'm always the same way. Um, I guess all teenagers are. They believe that. I guess nothing could ever happen to them. But when you wake up one morning and realize that you're on death row and you're waiting there day after day for them to set you an execution date, it's pretty hard reality check. It's um, I think you realize it's a pretty harsh world. We're just about out of time, and I'm wondering if there's anything that uh, you want to say or you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about. Not that I can think of. Pardon me? Not that I can think of. back to your life before the trial and change anything, would you? I wouldn't change anything that's ever happened in my entire life. Nothing. Everything that has happened in my life has came together to create and make me the person that I am now. And if any of those things would change, then the person who I now am would not exist. I wouldn't think the same way about things. I wouldn't feel the same way about things. So there's no. But the person that you are today is sitting on death row. You wouldn't want to change that? Well, I don't think there was anything I could do to change that. What was it? I mean, become a clone, give up my personality, give up my identity, just march along like everyone else. I'd rather die first. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. 
there's some more stuff to sort of pepper into the thought stew about the West Memphis 3 case going around in your minds. As I said, I'll be doing the Scumbag Magicians Damien Eccles episode. In that episode, I'll be going into some of the various occult connections and synchronicities and some of the evidence supporting the fact that maybe it was a satanic ritualistic killing. I don't think that's the case, but I think that all angles should be covered. One of the things I didn't really talk about in the episode that I want to bring up here at the end is that in the place where the boys were found, there was no blood whatsoever. And if they were killed in the creek, that might make some sense. But apparently Chris Byers was murdered on the bank, and that's where his penis and ears were removed, according to police. Though later on in the trial, some evidence came forth that the removal of Chris Byers' penis and ears could have, in fact, been done by snapping turtles. I don't know any validity to that. You guys can go look it up. Check out Damien Eccles' YouTube series about chaos magic. Um, definitely, if you want more information, I suggest watching all three Paradise Lost documentaries. Probably check out Chess, Check out West of Memphis also. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it has more information in there. I hope you enjoyed the first true crime episode of the Scumbag Diaries. I'm definitely going to do another one. I'm trying my damnedest to improve the show and get the listening quality and the sound quality and everything better and better as we go. But of course, all that stuff costs money. And I'm not at a point yet with the podcast where I can generate that much income for the show. But we're going to make do with what we got until that time comes. Thanks everyone for the support. I appreciate it. I'll be dropping a scumbag comic book industry, Wonder Woman, Sexism, and Bondage episode also this week. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next couple of days. I'm not sure. I'm going to try to do two episodes next week to make up for how much I've been slacking. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Everyone love everyone. And in the words of the immortal Bill Hicks, it's just a ride.